0: You'll find the scripture tonight in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. I do want to express my gratitude for the privilege to be here tonight, to be a part of this service, of these services. Thank you so much for the wonderful singing and Brother Price for the message. And I'm always grateful when God's man opens God's Word and God speaks to my heart through the Spirit of God. And he certainly did it while Brother Christ was preaching, and it's always good when the Lord speaks to that inner man. As a matter of fact, that's the only one he ever speaks to. And I'm grateful that once he drove, gave me a new man, the old man's still there, and he gives me trouble. But I'm grateful for the Spirit of God that uh, speaks to us. And thank you so much for the privilege to be a part of this service tonight. I do appreciate Brother Anderson and each of you that... uh, are here, each of these churches that are represented. Thank you so much for being a part of this camp meeting. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world received up in the glory. Let's bow our heads again, please, while we pray. Our Father, I bow in your presence tonight. Ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me of every sin, every word, every thought, all about me that's unpleasing to you. I pray that you'll cleanse me of it. Thank you for this day, for the blessings, the mercies of it, for the privilege to be under this tabernacle tonight, for the wonderful... Songs have been sung that have uh, in, helped us to focus our attention upon you and to worship. Thank you for this wonderful message, for this dear man of God. I thank you for speaking to my own heart from your word through your servant. Thank you for this church, and I pray your blessings on them and all their labors. Thank you for each church that is represented here tonight. Thank you for each of these dear men of God, and I pray that you'll bless them In their respective places of service. Lord, we've come tonight to hear a word from you, a word from God. And I pray, Lord, now that you will be pleased to touch thy servant. Give me that special anointing. Illuminate my mind and loose my tongue. And may the gospel go forth, not in word only, but in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost with much assurance. Should there be any among us that are strangers to your grace, I pray that this will be the art of salvation. Lord, for those of us that are saved, help us to draw nigh to Thee that you may draw nigh to us. And all that you are pleased to accomplish in our hearts in this service, we will give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In the name of our blessed, bloodstained Redeemer, I pray, Amen. I want to speak to you tonight as we look at this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, about the mystery of godliness. There are several messages that were on my heart tonight, and of course, it's impossible to preach them all, but this one seems to be preeminent in my heart tonight. The mystery of godliness. The Apostle Paul had just reminded Timothy that the church of God is the pillar and the ground of truth. And he urges on Timothy the necessity to live faithfully among those that, that have been entrusted with the gospel and to go into all the world as our Lord commanded and preach the gospel to every creature. There are at least six mysteries that are given in the New Testament. There is, of course, this mystery before us, the mystery of godliness. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That is, it's not open for debate. It's not open for discussion. That is, in the household of faith. Those of us that are saved in the household of faith believe this. And it is without question a reality. And then there's the mystery of the church. Ephesians 5.32 This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And then there's the mystery of the calling of the Gentiles. Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, wherein, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages remained known of the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. And then there's the mystery of the restoration of Israel. Romans eleven twenty five, twenty six. 26. For I would not that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened unto Israel, and of the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness to Jacob. There's the mystery of the resurrection of the body. First Corinthians 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead and dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And then sixth and lastly, the mystery of iniquity. For 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then that wicked shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. But we're speaking tonight and looking at the mystery of godliness. Six characteristics of this mystery. God was manifest in the flesh. The Lord Jesus came to this earth on a mission of mercy. And of course, there was a time that He was not man. But there's never been a time that He was not God. But in Bethlehem, the mortal blended with the immortal. The finite blended with the infinite. The eternal blended with this mortal. God, whom the heavens could not contain, became man. The same Lord Jesus who created this world... The same one who sandaled the stars, who sandaled His uh, feet with the stars, who made His robe the universe, came down to planet earth and identified with fallen man yet without sin. And in His own sinless body, took our sins and nailed them to the cross and made salvation possible. The psalmist said, Thou preparest a body, This was a special body. For this body was the instrument of salvation. Think about the must of it. Jesus' virgin birth was an absolute necessity. If there was no sinless life, there was no blameless atonement. If there was no blameless atonement, there is no eternal salvation. But the same Holy Ghost who brooded over primeval chaos and brought this world into existence is the same Holy Ghost who brooded over my nine-year-old soul 63 years ago and birthed me in the family of God and gave me eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ manifest in the flesh, the First characteristic of the mystery of godliness was the incarnation of the Savior. The second, the the, qualify, the second characteristic of the mystery of godliness is this, the Savior's vindication. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit. Now on certain occasions only did the, the deity of our Lord really shine through. When our Lord was on this earth, He was not as the supposed pictures portray Him with a halo about His head. But the truth is that most of the time, He was with help from the gaze of men. And on certain occasions, such as the Mount of Transfiguration, when the Lord was transfigured before Peter and James and John, and His raiment was white, as the light, and His face as bright as the sun. And then when He was baptized in the river Jordan, the Holy Ghost descended and lit upon His head. And God spoke out of heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then the deity of our Lord shine through. Christ was born of the Spirit. At His presence pain flees. Death lives, and the true defense of the gospel is the Holy Spirit of Christ, born of the Spirit. Luke 1, 35, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the high shall overshadow thee. The same Holy Ghost who convicted me of sin, who birthed me in the kingdom of God, is the same Holy Ghost that brought about the birth of our Lord. He lived in the spirit. John 3: 34: God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. He spoke by the Spirit." John 6:63, 6, "The words I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. He worked by the Spirit." 12. Matthew 12:28, "I cast out devils by the spirit of God. He died by the Spirit of God. Hebrews 9.14 Who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God to purge your conscience from dead works and to serve the true and the living God. He arose by the Spirit. 1 Peter 3.18 Being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit. By the Spirit of God we were made new creatures in Christ Jesus. Uh, then the third qualification, the third uh, evidence of the fact that God was manifested in the flesh was the revelation of the Savior, seen of angels. Now before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, He was the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 says, And angels could only... Look on the glory of God. But when Jesus came to Bethlehem, He became visible. God manifest in the flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of God. The angels attended His creation. Job 38, 7 says... When the morning stars sang together, and the sons of God shouted for joy, the angels saw him create worlds. They saw him fling the stars out into space. They watched him create the planets and put them in their orbits. They saw all of his creation, and they announced his cradle. Now they had waited patiently, gazing on that mercy seat every smoking Jewish sacrifice, every altar, they watched as they anticipated the coming of our Lord. They'd heard of this mystery, but they'd never before seen such love and such condescension as when Christ actually came down from heaven down to this earth. An angel stood in the sky and announced his birth. And he was born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They saw all of that. They heard the prophet say, and they watched the prophet write, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And they were amazed at that. Whoever heard of a virgin conceiving a child, but Isaiah wrote it, just as God gave it verbatim. I imagine later on, as another scribe later was transcribing the words of Isaiah, he must have looked down at that verse and thought to himself, Surely, I didn't get that right. I heard that wrong. No virgin is ever conceived and born a son. But the Holy Ghost said, Put it down. Just like Isaiah said, wrote, And hundreds of years had passed and another scribe. We'll look at that as well. And say, that can't be right. Isaiah must have been getting old. He must have had hardened arteries. Whoever heard of a virgin conceiving and bearing a son, but the Holy Ghost said, put it down. But sure enough, one starlit night out of the town of Bethlehem, when the beautiful star of Bethlehem was shining so brightly, God's angel announced unto his point, This day in the city of David, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. The angels watched him at his crucifixion and were amazed at his crucifixion. They saw him, the great Creator, who made everything out of nothing, who created everything that was created. They saw Him bound. They saw Him blindfolded. They saw Him as the wicked crowd befouled His face with their spit. They saw Him beaten with their hard rods. They saw Him blooded and bruised. And they watched Him until He died on Calvary crying, It is finished. They appeared at the Resurrection tomb. Not the angels, the two angels were there. Not to let Jesus out. But to inform the visitors of where he'd gone. And they, they were amazed at all that. They were amazed at his mighty power. They were amazed when God actually became flesh and dwelt among us. But there's one thing that puts them witch, at their at their wits end. There's one thing they just can't get a hold of. They've been studying it. And Brother Scott, they've been trying to grasp it for all these years, thousands of years. But they're no closer to understanding it tonight than they were when they first started their investigation. This thing of whom the prophets wrote about and looked into. And the angels wondered about it. But they still cannot Figure it out what it means to be redeemed by the blood of this one who is manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, and seen to themselves the angels. They can't get it. They can't grasp it. And they never will. It's a secret to the ransom of the Lord. It's a secret not on, only the household of faith. Now sometimes when a dear saint of God dies, you hear songs about there's a brand new angel in the choir. Not unless God creates them more. Because angels are created by God and for God. They're a special order created by the Lord. Saints won't ever become angels. And those of your loved ones and friends, that have died in the faith, died in the grace of God. They're not angels. They're saints. Only on, not on, like on earth, they're in a glorified state awaiting their new body in heaven. The angels are wonderful. They have great strength. They have great power. Now, if God would open our eyes tonight, our spiritual eyes, I know, I have no doubt around here we're not only see demons because the demons do come to hinder our worship but we'd see the angels of God as well and uh, if we could see the angels tonight I'm sure every one of us would pass out cold as a cucumber but the angels are interested in what we're doing they're interested in the songs we sing when they sing about him I don't think they care much about the music that the church sings just like they're singing in the world. But I think they're interested when we sing the songs that's peculiar and special to the saints. About the angels, as great as they are, as strong as they are, will never become, the saints will never become an angel, as great as they are. One angel we're told on one occasion, one, on one occasion, slew 185,000 Assyrian members of Sennacherib's army. One angel done that. No grandpa angel could have done that. They have great strength. In their books they see sunrises and sunsets. And they can be in a place in a moment to investigate it. But with all their intelligence and all their strength, There's one thing that just baffles them. And that is what it means to be redeemed. I'd rather be a saint. I'd rather be saved by grace than to be an angel. The angels have never been able to say what I can say. They've never been able to sing what I can sing. Saved, saved, saved by the blood of the crucified one, his child, and forever I am saved. I'd rather be saved be a saint of God than to be an angel. That is the proclamation of the Savior. This other fourth characteristic of the mystery of godliness. Preached among the Gentiles. Until Jesus came, nothing was preached to the Gentiles. But all oh, when he came, a light to the Gentiles appeared. There's the marvel of his messengers. The gospel of Christ preached to the Gentiles was a strange thing. Paul, once Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and at one time, the greatest defense to him was the cross of Jesus Christ. But when the Lord saved him, it was his greatest glory. Our glory in the cross of Christ, our Lord. Now, what an amazing thing it is that God chooses those that is saved by his grace to declare this wonderful gospel. I've been to the place where John Newton pastored several times. Wouldn't it have been a wonderful thing to heard John Newton preach? And wouldn't it have been a wonderful thing to heard him? And I'm sure they must have sung it off to an amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I read once that John Newton boasted that he could curse for two hours straight and never repeat the same word. But when the Lord saved him, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. There's the mystery of its method preached unto the Gentiles. What a mystery, what a marvel preaching is. I know that there are those in our day, as have been in every day, who would rather that we choose another method besides preaching. But we didn't choose this method. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those which believe. Now I know that in some denominations, and I'm ashamed to say that in in many places called Baptist churches, that the pulpit has been removed. In some churches... There's a pulpit on the left and one on the right, and nothing in either one of them. But it hath pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those which believe. That's God's method. We use every means that God gives us to get the gospel out. But the primary method of communicating is the preaching of the word. If it had pleased God, he could have used the little bird to chirp out the gospel message. Brother David, he could have used the pattern of the raindrops. But it had pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those which believe. And in the providence and the mercy of God, this past week, just last week, I've had the privilege of preaching the gospel 60 years. And I thank God for the glorious privilege. And uh, I remember uh, in my room, the 6th grade, Whitnall School. And uh, that, was a year, that was when I began preaching in May. And uh, my, my teacher is a godly lady. And uh, that last week I I'd preached at Central uh, the, the, one night, on, which would have been last week, and then Calvary Baptist and Taylorsville on a Thursday and Sunday night for Brother Hinkle Little. And people were saved both services, and I like it. I like preaching the gospel and seeing people saved. But uh, we're to preach whether people are saved or not. We're just to keep on preaching. But anyhow, my, my sixth grade teacher asked me, one of those weeks in May, we, if I'd conduct the devotions. Now, I knew that God had just called me to preach. And I thought, if you're a preacher, you're supposed to preach. And so I just preached every morning. But she's a godly lady. And one morning, about the 34th morning, we sung songs like Victory in Jesus, Power in the Blood, in 6th grade, public school, another world. And uh, that morning, the power of God fell. And uh, Brother Price, there were six or seven of those little sinners kneeled around the teacher's desk just weeping and begging God to save them. And we didn't have class for a while. And uh, it wasn't long The school was out, but I believe it was the next week, maybe maybe that, that same week, as a matter of fact. The principal came and called my teacher out, Miss Toy Clark, and uh, talked to her, and then she came back in and called me out. I did I didn't know what was wrong. And she said, Larry, the principal, Mr. Kincaid, was in here and he just told me that he'd received word and I don't know how the superintendent of schools knew, it, the county schools knew, it, but, but they said it's all, that we couldn't have any more invitations. He said it'd be all right to keep on having the devotions, but we just can't, we just can't have any more invitations. But you know what she said to me, Brother Scott? She said, that's all right, Larry. You just keep preaching. We'll deal with them on the playground. It had pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. That's God's method. All these 2,000 years, it had pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those which believe. That's God's method. That's God's way of communicating the gospel. The mystery... Of godliness. And then this fifth mystery. This fifth characteristic. The acceptation of the Savior. Believed on in the world. The amazing thing to me. People will believe it. Not everybody will have it. Not everybody will receive or believe the gospel. But some will. And for those that will, there is salvation. And there is life eternal. And until Jesus comes, this is God's method of communicating the gospel. The foolishness of preaching. The sixth characteristic of the mystery of godliness is that he is received up in the glory. There is a man in heaven who prays for us, us that are saved. One mediator between God and man. He won't ever get old. He won't ever get senile. He won't ever get his orders crossed up. What he was in eternity past, he shall be throughout eternity. He is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And when I pray, I have the assurance that he hears me. Jude talks about praying in the Holy Ghost. There's praying and there's praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm afraid that every time I pray, I may not pray in the Holy Ghost, but I'm to keep on praying. I'm, keep, I'm to keep on crying out to God. And because I have a mediator in heaven, I have the assurance that He will hear me. And what an amazing thing. The Holy Ghost, the Lord promised that when we can't even think of the words to say, the Holy Ghost will help us. He'll have to sort it all out, and He takes the weakness, our weaknesses, our infirmities, and uh, makes our prayer as it ought to be. In other words, He can take my weak, faltering, stammering words, and by the time it reaches the throne, it's absolutely perfect. It's incensed by the perfume of heaven,
1: and our assurance.
0: The Lord will hear me when I pray. The mystery of God is received up in the glory. There is a man in heaven. The God-man. The man Christ Jesus who prays for us. And he became man. He became the author of eternal salvation. And as a son he learned obedience. Becoming the author of eternal salvation. That he would would save all those that obey the the gospel, the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of the angels, received, preached of the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory.